Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, keeping the government's eye on the IT ball. A hundred million dollar set aside, I guess, for digital experience and customer experience. Good stuff. Um, but I think we also need to keep an eye on some of the leg- those really hard legacy IT problems. And your funding source doesn't matter. You'll still have to show your legwork. Even if the TMF went away tomorrow, if you want to get new funding for an initiative that isn't funding today, you still need to do a business case. It's Friday, June 17th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Federal employees are closer to a 4.6% pay raise for 2023. The House Appropriations, Financial Services, and General Government Subcommittee will go along with the White House request for that raise. The full Appropriations Committee will review the markup next, but it's not on the committee's schedule yet. The General Services Administration will release the next generation of the Alliant contract ahead of schedule. The Assistant Commissioner of the IT category at the Federal Acquisition Service, Laura Stanton, says the early release is coming because Alliant 2's been successful. Stanton says a draft request for proposals could come for Alliant 3 in the next few months. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The intersection of identity management and cyber will be in focus at the Okta Gov Identity Summit 2022. Government and industry leaders will be at the conference at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City this coming Thursday, June 23rd. You can find a link to learn more and register in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The General Services Administration's pulling about 75,000 products and services from GSA Advantage. It's part of a pilot to monitor the government's supply chain. Julie Dunn is principal at Monument Advocacy. She's former commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. Julie, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What are the steps that you foresee GSA taking uh, along this track to try to secure the supply chain that it provides for agencies? Welcome. Thank you. So while I was there, um, supply chain security has long been something of interest to me. And um, I I made it one of our major overall objectives in terms of uh, strategizing as to how we uh, deliver the best products and services. And um, one of the things we did is we one of the first events I spoke at was a supply chain awareness day. Um, and I think they're doing that as an annual basis. And a lot of it, and GSA was called out as a thought leader in terms of providing training to a lot of the acquisition uh, professionals. So that that was one aspect of it. And then kind of operationally, as you've seen kind of uh, come out with some of the uh, screening of the products that are on the schedule, we were looking for ways to make sure the products that were on there were compliant with things like 889, and you know, which is the 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 prohibition on certain Chinese telecom equipment. So it's it's a uh, multifaceted uh, problem, which um, it, as I used to describe it, it is a challenge, but it, it was also an opportunity for GSA to provide something that our customers were looking for. The data that GSA used, my colleague Dave Nitschapir's story says, uh, comes from the verified products portal. What kind of data is in the VPP that GSA can use to make these kinds of decisions, Julie? So the verified products portal was part of our overarching effort to um, improve uh, GSA's ability for uh, catalog management, making sure we had the right data. And the verified products portal was something that was started so that 
if I recall correctly, it was original equipment manufacturers basically provide data and validate, you know, this is what our stuff, <laughs> using the technical term, looks like. Um, this is where it's made. This, these are the security aspects of it. So it, it's, it's a way to try and rationalize that data uh, so that we can kind of ping that against what's on the schedule. Is there a challenge, potentially a risk, potentially in the vendors self-certifying as they're getting uh, providing you this data? I suppose potentially, but I, um, I think it's in their interest uh, in terms of providing good data because um, that's how we're going to figure out when we apply, you know, kind of the automated um, script to figure out, you know, w- what makes sense and, and make sure we get the best data. I mean original equipment manufacturer and you've got a reseller that's putting stuff on the schedule, you want to make sure what's being represented as your stuff is actually your stuff. How much data does GSA collect or how much could it potentially collect that this could spread beyond advantage and could maybe go across the entire, everything GSA offers eventually? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, catalog management was one of our big initiatives and, um, the verified product portal was sort of the back end piece of things to make sure we had good data. And then there was sort of a front end that uh, was being worked. And the idea was, I mean, you know, there's millions of products on the schedule. Um, So the idea was just to get the best data that we possibly could um, and use that to screen for things like, you know, supply chain uh, risks or um, all sorts of, you know, making sure we just had the best data possible. So, and you know, as, GSA is a government-wide service provider, so it has huge implications. Was there data that you wanted to collect, Julie, that that you were not able to or that the agency didn't for some reason? Or is there some type of data that would be helpful for supply chain efforts that GSA could have that maybe it doesn't or doesn't have enough of right now? Well, I mean, in a global marketplace, uh, the data is expansive, (laughs) I mean, you don't want to make it so uh, burdensome that, uh, you know, the vendors don't want to play. Um, I think there are also other tools that GSA, you know, was working on. Um, Things like, uh, you know, tools to illuminate the uh, supply chain. So looking at a good and saying, wait a minute, how far back, you know, what's the the background on that company? Um, So applying technology, in addition to collecting that data, there's also opportunities for tools to apply technology and and figure out, you know, the sourcing and, you know, whether or not they've got the right certifications and that kind of thing. One of the things that I know you looked at, and I know that your successor, Sonny Hashmi, is looking at is uh, improving the way that COTS products are presented to the agencies and, and the options that they have. What's your thought about how to shape that and what information an agency should get to be able to make a good decision about buying something off the shelf? Well, I mean, the COTS products, it is a particular challenge because it is a global marketplace. And, you know, uh, the federal government used to be very much a market driver. It's, as you know, a bit different. Um, so trying to get the right data and trying to kind of um, put that out there is is sort of a the COTS thing. I think a lot of times we're going to have to have we're going to have to rely on that self-certification process in some ways. And there is liability when somebody certifies and it's incorrect. There is liability for that government contractor. So there is 
there's some incentive to get that right. The government, they're never going to get a perfect <laughs> data set. Uh, so it, it's something we're just going to have to continue to, the government's going to have to continue to work with industry on to make that work. Another item under your purvey as the FAST commissioner was the Technology Modernization Fund. I imagine you've been tracking what's been going on the last week or so with TMF. I certainly have. I actually um, worked on Modernizing Government Technology Act, establishing the TMF. Um, so it's been interesting to watch that evolve. Um, and I'm, you know, I was pleased to see that they got a, a fair amount of funding. Um, uh, it's interesting. A lot of what we were concerned about when we set up this fund was those really hard problems of legacy IT systems. Um, and this $100 million set aside, I guess, for digital experience and customer experience, good stuff. Um, but I think we also need to keep an eye on some of the leg those really hard legacy IT problems. Um, we always want to have good customer experience, um, but that TMF, it's an opportunity to really change the game. Um, and th that was sort of our thinking. I mean, the GAO for 20 plus years has said the government's not getting this right. Yeah. And this an opportunity to try and fix that. Do you think it's possible that we might see with this money, and Rayleigh Young says we're going to get spend all the money that's in the fund, we're going to award all the money that's in the fund by the end of this fiscal year. Is it possible that we could see some some big ones in that? Or, or is that a good idea, do you think, Julie? And the reason that I ask is because I'm starting to hear kind of a buzz on the government side of 10 million, 15 million, 20 million dollar projects or smaller are fine. But some of the big hairy problems that I have are a lot bigger than that, are going to cost a lot more than that to address. Right. Uh, so, I mean, you, you've probably heard that number thrown about that the federal government spends 90 billion on IT. Yep. Um, and a billion is a drop in the bucket. Um, but it is an opportunity for perhaps smaller agencies to really change the game in terms of making those investments. Um, you know, I think DOD and DHS and SSA, some of the ones that have those, as you put it, the big hairy problems, you know, may, maybe they get some a partial funding allocation from the TMF, but um, they're really going to have to work that in conjunction with their appropriators to sometimes change the game in that regard. But, uh, you know, the other part of the MGT, which uh, kind of falls under the radar screen a lot, and this was part of Chairman Hurd's effort, was to give various agencies the uh, authority for those CIOs to set up a revolving fund to take care of this. Um, you know, I know there's been some ambiguity in the language in terms of what the authority means. And I think over the years, OMB has asked for clarification. And um, so anyway, that's that's another way that federal agencies, if they can't access the TMF, could potentially um, access some of that, that kind of um, investment money. So correct my memory if I'm wrong, but my memory was that one version of the bill or one bill, maybe it was two separate pieces of legislation, was the revolving funds at the individual agencies. And the other version was the TMF as we know it today. And rather than fighting it out, the two sides just decided we'll just do them both. And that's how why we have what we have. Why do you think the TMF has gotten so much attention and the individual agency working capital funds have gotten almost no attention? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I literally remember taking Chairman Hurd's bill and Majority Leader Steny Hoyer's bill and slapping it together. <laughs> you know, there was something for everybody, and that's how compromise happens on the Hill, right? Um, and, you know, this, it, I think Chairman Hurd's idea was get it closer to the person, the CIO, 
that has the accountability and they know their agency and the TMF, you know, can also be an effective uh, funding mechanism, but, you know, as all good legislation, it was a compromise. Julie, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks very much for coming on. Congratulations on the new gig. Thank you very much. You can read more about the TMF and the supply chain effort in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. Programming note, Monday, the Daily Scoop Podcast will observe the Juneteenth federal holiday. So no program Monday. You'll get a brand new Daily Scoop Podcast next Tuesday, June 21st. The Technology Modernization Fund Board will set aside $100 million for customer experience projects. The board will take fast-track applications for the money through August 1st. Simone Zickman is Senior Vice President for Client Growth at Maximus. He's former Chief Information Officer at the Department of Commerce. Simone, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming on. I had Irv Dennis, the former CFO of HUD, on the program talking about TMF proposals the other day. And the importance that he stressed of the relationship between the CIO and the CFO reminded me of the interview that I did with you and Scott Quell. Oh God, it had to be 10 or 12 years ago about that exact thing. And I remember the fact that you and Scott as the CIO and CFO respectively, the fact that you had such a close partnership was like big news in the federal space at that time. I mean, it was people just weren't doing it. What do you see? How do you see that evolving? And how do you see something like the Technology Modernization Fund driving the evolution of the collaboration between financial managers and IT leaders in government? Simone, welcome. Thanks, Francis. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's always great to uh, to come in for a conversation. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You 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 called out the point that it was uh, big news at the time, and it was always a, a little interesting to me even back then because uh, both Scott and I had kind of a collaborative leadership style, but at the time, uh, you didn't put it in these words, but there were frequently um, kind of a, a, a tension between the CIO organizations and the CFO organizations. Sometimes they were um, just in, uh, in tension given different objectives and different priorities, but I always found it a little odd that it, it was big news I think collaboration and cooperation should be kind of a natural thing. Uh, on the flip side, though, I think I'll also acknowledge that it's not big news today. And I think that that is reflective of a much better collaboration in general. I think it's it's much more typical these days to, to see more of a, an IPT type style between the, the different functions, whether it's workforce management and Chico's and CIOs and CFOs. And, uh, and so hopefully we're... We're past the days where that's big news. Uh, specifically in, in the context of the TMF, to your question, I, I do hope that the um, there is kind of a, a significant interaction going on behind the scenes between CIO and CFO leadership on TMF proposals because the, the TMF is a, a source of funding. Uh, appropriations bills are also a source of funding, and there's a lot that goes on internal to agencies as part of the, the deliberation process and the budget development process. Uh, and so given the, the trade-offs and the, the pluses and minuses, um, I, I would like to ex expect that there's a, a, a lot of conversation collaboration on what funding should be pursued um, and if, if not what the technical priorities are, at least what the budget implications are 
on the CFO side. How much do you need to understand as the CIO, the financial management implications of, for example, a TMF proposal, and how much technological expertise would you like your CFO colleague to have in that scenario, Simone? Well, I think it's it's um, maybe not, not as much a question of, of that kind of expertise, but one of the things that I would want to consider, you know, let's say as, as a CIO, when I was a CIO, there were always multiple unfunded priorities. There were always more things that we wanted to do than we could afford to do. And so I think part of the, the conversation, the collaboration is to think about what's more likely to get funded by appropriators, what's less likely to get funded by appropriators, and weigh that into the prioritization of TMF proposals. Because if you know you could get it funded through existing budgets, or you know that you're more likely to get new funding to do something, you might want to use the TMF to pursue some of the things that you might be less likely to to get funded through the traditional processes. Um, And then again, the other, another similar area where the CFO, I think, can weigh in is um, there, there are these repayment terms, and, and we've all heard recently without a lot of specific details that there's been a relaxation of those repayment terms, but presumably that's still something that gets factored in. And I would think that when it comes to the, the ROI and the repayment terms and the repayment periods that the CFO organization can be helpful in shoring up the financial portion of the business case and making, making sure that that's well-informed for decision-making. When you talk about that, um, the, the way of thinking that you just outlined there, though, of trying to analyze projects that are necessary but maybe not will be appropriated, that, I think, gets at the, the reason that, at least from a senior management perspective, like deputy secretary above the CXO level, that was the reason why yours and Scott's partnership was perceived to be different or special because I'm not sure at that time people thought of the CIOs at the deputy secretary level and thought of the CFOs as strategic leaders. I think they thought of them more as tactical leaders. You were the person they called when to find out why the network was down or whatever the problem was. The CFO was the person they called, you know, the perception was Blackberry guy and bean counter and not, right. not fair, but that's the, the world in which we lived at that point in time. And we're not there anymore, it's, it seems to me. That's true. And, and, I, I, and I think Scott was also, to his credit, one of those people, again, at the time that the, the climate generally was one where IT was viewed as a, uh, a, con- a, a consumer of resources, a money sink, rather than a value deliverer. And I think Scott kind of recognized the value that came out of, uh, of the IT organizations, whether it was business value or mission delivery. Um, and I think that's also partly what, what led to that good collaboration. I think um, both, not even exclusively within the government, but even outside the government, I think there's been a lot of evolution in viewing CIO organizations as contributors to the business and not just consumers of, of dollars. So we should arrange a reunion on this show and just talk amongst the three of us about what's changed in the however many years it's been since we had that conversation. I think that would be fun. Um, What do you see moving forward? We don't know how much money is going to go into the TMF. Um, Raylene Young said recently uh, at a hearing that they've got about $750 million and they're going to get it all out by the end of the fiscal year. Um, So they've, they're, 
they've got three, four months basically to do that. We don't know, though, what will happen next year. You and I chat a little bit before we turn the recorder on. The administration asked for $300 million. It looks like the first appropriations markup is only going to be for $100 million. So there's still question about how much Congress is really buying into this. What do you see moving forward as far as what an agency should do? How much time and effort, quite frankly, they should put into this uh, idea of a TMF not knowing whether there's, whether there's going to be a lot of money available to, uh, for them? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I think the way I would look at it, if I were a CIO, a couple of points. First of all, I, I, I touched on earlier the fact that it's it's gotten a little hazy, at least on the outside. I'm sure there's more clarity and information on the inside uh, regarding what, what the latest is in terms of repaying ROI, how that happens, and over what period of time. But eventually, as enough work gets funded, if, if they are indeed doing some kind of repayment and collecting back some of the savings, eventually the fund should, at some level, and I can't guess at what financial level that would be, but it should become self-sustaining, even if it takes longer than expected because the repayment terms are a little uh, more relaxed than what was originally envisioned. Eventually, there should be some self-sustaining element to this. So uh, if I were a CIO, I would look at this as there is going to be money available. And sure, it might vary from year to year, depending on what the appropriations are, but it's still something worth pursuing. And then the other thing is, even more importantly than that, even if the TMF went away tomorrow, if you want to get new funding for an initiative that isn't funding today, you still need to do a business case. And so the form of it might be a little bit different. It may not take the, the form of the, the proposal as submitted to the TMF board, but people are going to have to develop a, a business case of some sort. And so I think a lot of what they're doing in preparing proposals for the TMF is work that's going to be useful even without the TMF, just through the routine process of requesting funds to do new things. Simone Zickman, it's always great to talk to you. Always learn something. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Francis. Great to hear, uh, hear from you and chat with you. You can read more about the TMF in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is off for the Juneteenth holiday Monday, back on Tuesday. Until then, have a great Father's Day weekend. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.